Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 45 to 46 and in the previous episode we read chapters 43 to 44 and in the previous episode we left off with an, a fascinating ending to which the Earth Mother has finally awoken. The, in this, however, we will now switch perspectives over to Nico, Reyna, and Coach Hedge and see how they're doing with the Athena Parthenos and the current war going between Camp Half-Blood and Camp Jupiter, led by the wonderful Octavian himself. So now we will read Chapter 45, Nico. About five miles east of camp, a black SUV was parked on the beach. They tied up the boat at a private dock. Nico helped Dakota and Layla haul Michael Kahale ashore. The big guy was still only half-conscious, mumbling what Nico assumed were football calls. Red 12. Red 31. Hike! Then he giggled uncontrollably. We'll leave him here, Layla said. Just don't bind him. Poor guy. What about the car? Dakota said. The keys are in the glove compartment, but uh, can you drive? Layla frowned. I thought you could drive. Aren't you 17? I never learned, Dakota said. I was busy. I've got it covered. Nico promised. They both looked at him. You're like 14, Layla said. Nico enjoyed how nervous the Romans acted around him, even though they were older and bigger and more experienced fighters. I didn't say I would be behind the wheel. He knelt and placed his hand on the ground. He felt the nearest graves, the bones of forgotten humans buried and scattered. He searched deeper, extending his senses into the underworld. Jules Albert, let's go. The ground split. A zombie in a ragged 19th century motoring outfit clawed his way to the surface. Layla stepped back. Dakota screamed like a kindergartner. What is that, man? Dakota protested. This is my driver, Nico said. Jules Albert finished first in the Paris Ruin motor car race back in 1895, but he wasn't awarded the prize because his steam car used a stoker. Layla stared at him. What are you even talking about? He's a restless soul, always looking for other chance to drive, Nico said. The last few years, he's been my driver whenever I need one. You have a zombie chauffeur? Layla said. I call shotgun. Nico got in on the passenger side. Reluctantly, the Romans climbed in back. One thing about Jules Albert, he never got emotional. He could sit in the cross-town traffic all day without losing his patience. He was immune to road rage. He could even drive straight up... To an encampment of wild centaurs and navigate through them without getting nervous. The centaurs were like nothing Nico had ever seen. They had back ends like palominos, tattoos all over their hairy arms and chests, and bullish horns protruding from their foreheads. Nico doubted they could blend in with humans as easily as Chiron did. At least 200 were sparring restlessly with swords and spears or roasting animal carcasses over open fires. Carnivorous centaurs. The idea made Nico shudder. The camp spilled across the farm road that meandered around Camp Half-Blood's southeast perimeter. The SUV nudged its way through, honking, honking when necessary. Occasionally, a centaur glared through the driver's side window, saw the zombie driver, and backed away in shock. Pluto's pauldrons, Nico muttered. Even more centaurs arrived overnight. Don't make eye contact. Layla warned. They take that as a challenge for a duel to the death. 
Nico stared straight ahead as the SUV pushed through. His heart was pounding, but he wasn't scared. He was angry. Octavian had surrounded Camp Haplow with monsters. Sure, Nico had a mixed emotions about the camp. He felt rejected there, out of place, unwanted, and unloved. But now that it was on the verge of destruction, he realized how much it meant, meant to him. This was the last place Bianca and he had ever shared as a home. The only place that ever felt safe, even if only temporarily. They rounded a bend in the road, and Nico's fists clenched. More monsters. Hundreds more. Dog-headed men prowled in packs, their pulley axes gleaming in the light of campfires. Beyond that milled a tribe of two-headed men dressed in rags and blankets like homeless guys, armed with a haphazard collection of slings, clubs, and metal pipes. Octavian is an idiot, Nico hissed. He thinks he can control these creatures? They just kept showing up, Layla said. Before we knew it? Well, look. The Legion was arrayed at the base of Half-Blood Hill. Its five cohorts in perfect order. Its standards bright and proud. Giant eagles circled overhead. The sea's weapons, six golden onagers the size of houses, were arrayed behind in a loose semicircle, three on each flank. But for all its impressive discipline, the Twelfth Legion looked pitifully small. A splotch of demigod valor and a sea of ravenous monsters. Nico wished he still had the scepter of Diocletian, but he doubted a legion of dead warriors would make a dent in his army. Even the Argo II couldn't do much against this kind of strength. <sighs> I have to disable the onagers, Nico said. We don't have much time. You'll never get close to them, Layla warned. Even if we get the entire 4th and 5th cohorts to follow us, the other cohorts will try to stop us. Those siege weapons are manned by Octavian's most loyal followers. We won't get close by force, Nico agreed. But alone, I can do it. Dakota, Layla, Jules Albert will drive you to the Legion lights. Get out, talk to your troops, convince them to follow your lead. I'll need a distraction. Dakota frowned. Alright, but I'm not hurting any one of my fellow Legionnaires. No one's asking you to, Nico growled. But if we don't stop this war, the entire Legion will be wiped out. You said the monster tribes take insult easily? Yes, Dakota said. Well, I mean, for instance, you make any comment to those two-headed guys about the way they smell and... Oof. He grinned. If we start a brawl, by accident. Of course. I'll be counting on you, Nico said. Layla frowned. But how are you... I'm going dark, Nico said, and he faded into the shadows. He thought he was prepared. He wasn't. Even after three days of rest and the wondrous healing properties of Coach Hedge gooey brown gunk... Nico started to dissolve the moment he shadow-jumped. His limbs turned to vapor, cold seeped into his chest, voices of spirits whispered in his ears. Help us. Remember us. Join us. He hadn't realized how much he had relied on Reyna. Without her strength, he felt as weak as a newborn colt, wobbling dangerously, ready to fall at every step. No, he told himself. I am Nico D'Angelo. Son of Hades, I control the shadows. They do not control me. He stumbled back into the mortal world at the crest of Half-Blood Hill. He fell to his knees, hugging Talia's pine tree for support. The Golden Fleece was no longer in its branches. The Guardian Dragon was gone. Perhaps they'd been moved to a safer spot with the battle so close. Nigo wasn't sure, but looking down at the Roman forces arrayed outside the valley, his spirits wavered. The nearest onager was a hundred yards downhill encircled in spike trenches and guarded by a dozen demigods. 
The machines were primed, ready to fire. Its huge sling cupped a projectile the size of a Honda Civic, glowing with flecks of gold. With icy certainty, Nika realized what Octavian was up to. The projectile was a mixture of incendiaries and imperial gold. Even a small amount of imperial gold could be incredibly volatile. Exposed to too much heat or pressure, the stuff would explode with devastating impact. And of course, it was deadly to demigods, as well as monsters. If that Onajor scored a hit on Camp Half-Blood, anything in the blast zone would be annihilated, vaporized by the heat, or disintegrated by the shrapnel. And the Romans had six Onagers, all stocked with piles of ammunition. Evil, Nico said. This is evil! He tried to think. Dawn was breaking. He couldn't possibly take down all six weapons before the attack began. Even if he found the strength to shadow travel that many times, if he managed it once more, it would be a miracle. He spotted the Roman command tent. Behind and to the left of the legion, Octavian would probably be there, enjoying breakfast at a safe distance from the fighting. He wouldn't lead his troops into battle. That little scumbag would hope to destroy the Greek camp from a distance. Wait for the flames to die, then march in unopposed. Nico's throat constricted with hate. He concentrated on the tent, envisioning his next jump. If he could assassinate Octavian, that might solve the problem. The order to attack might never be given. Nico was about to attempt it when a voice behind him said, Nico? He spun his sword instantly in his hand and almost decapitated Will Solus. Put that down! Will hissed. What are you doing here? Nico was dumbstruck. Will and two other campers were couched in the grass, binoculars around their necks and daggers at their side. They wore black jeans and t-shirts with black grease paint on their faces like com- com- commandos. Me? Nico asked. What are you doing? Get- getting yourselves killed? Will scowled. Hey, we're scouting the enemy. We took precautions. You dressed in black, Nico noted. With the sun coming up, you painted your face but didn't cover that mop of blonde hair. You might as well be waving a yellow flag. Will's ears reddened. Llewellyn wrapped some mist around us too. Hi. The girl next to him wriggled her fingers. She looked a little flustered. You're Nico, right? I've heard a lot about you. And this is Cecil from Hermes Cabin. Nico knelt next to them. Did Coach Hedge make it to camp? Lou Ellen giggled nervously. Did he ever? Will elbowed her. Yeah, Hedge is fine. He made it just in time for the baby's birth. The baby! Nico grinned, which hurt his facial muscles. He wasn't used to making that expression. Melly and the kid are all right? Fine. A very cute little satyr boy. Will shuddered. But I delivered it. Have you ever de- delivered a baby? Uh, no. I had to get some fresh air. That's why I volunteer for this mission. The gods of Olympus, my hands are still shaking, see? <laughs> he took Nico's hand, which sent an electric current down Nico's spine. He quickly withdrew. Whatever. He snapped. We don't have time for chit-chat. The Romans are attacking at dawn, and I've got to. We know, Will said. But if you're planning to shadow travel to that command tent, forget it. Nico glared at him. Excuse me? He he expected Will to flinch or look away. Most people did. But Will's blue eyes stayed fixed on his... Annoyingly determined. Coach Hedge told me all about your shadow travel. You can't try that again. I just did try it again, Solus. I'm fine. No, you're not. I'm a healer. I could feel the darkness in your hand as soon as I touched it. 
Even if you made it to that care at 10, you'd be in no shape to fight. But you wouldn't make it. One more slip and you won't come back. You are not shadow traveling. Doctor's orders. The camp is about to be destroyed. And we'll stop the Romans, Will said. But we'll do it our way. Llewellyn will control the mist. We'll sneak around, do as much damage as we can to those onagers. But no shadow travel. But no. Llewellyn's and Cecil's head swiveled back and forth like they were watching a really intense tennis match. Nico sighed in exasperation. He hated working with other people. They were always cramping his style, making him uncomfortable. And Will Solace. Nico revised his impression of the son of Apollo. He'd always thought of Will as easygoing and laid back. Apparently, he could also be stubborn and aggravating. Nico gazed down at Camp Half-Blood, where the rest of the Greeks were preparing for war. Past the troops in Ballistae, the canoe lake glittered pink in the first light of dawn. Nico remembered the first time he'd arrived at Camp Half-Blood, crash-landing in Apollo's sun car, which had been converted to a fiery school bus. He remembered Apollo, smiling and tan and completely cool in his shades. Talia said, Talia had said, He's hot. He's the sun god, Percy replied. That's not what I meant. Why was Nico thinking about that now? The random memory irritated him, made him feel jittery. He'd arrived at Camp Half-Blood thanks to Apollo. Now on what would be likely be his last day at camp, he was stuck with the son of Apollo. Whatever, Nico said. But we have to hurry, and you'll follow my lead. Fine, Will said. Just don't ask me to deliver any more satyr babies, and we'll get along great. And that's the end of chapter 45. Well, it seems like this is a pretty fascinating chapter to say the least. I definitely would say the past couple of chapters have been very suspenseful, full of excitement, maybe a little bit of scared, maybe a little bit of anything. But funny is probably one of the very few emotions that have been felt throughout these past previous chapters. So it was very interesting to see Will and Nico's... One of their more meaningful interactions, I would probably say. This is definitely going to be an interaction that Nico will definitely keep in his head for some time to come. And I hope that Will becomes that light to Nico that would help him brighten his own life up. I hope that Will acts as an inspiration for lighting up Nico's life, for Nico to find the better joys in life. And to be able to give happiness back to his sister and his mother. So yes, after this, we will come back after the break and read chapter 46 and move on to the Q&A session. So, see you after the break. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. And we're back from the break, and now we're going to read Chapter 46, Nico. They made it to the first onager just as chaos broke loose in the Legion. On the far end of the line, cries went up from the fifth cohort. Legionnaires scattered and dropped their pillow. A dozen centaurs barreled through the ranks, yelling and waving their clubs, followed by a horde of two-headed men banging on trash can lids. 
What's going on down there? Luellen asked. That's my distraction, Nico said. Come on. All the guards had clustered on the right side of the onager, trying to see what was going down on the ranks, which gave Nico and his comrades a clear shot to the left. They passed within a few feet of the nearest Roman, but the legionnaire didn't notice them. Luellen's mist magic seemed to be working. They jumped a spike trench and reached the machine. I brought some Greek fire, Cecil whispered. No, Nico said. If we make the damage too obvious, we'll never get to the other ones in time. Can you recalibrate their aim, like toward the other onagers firing lines? Cecil grinned. Oh, I like the way you think. They sent me here because I excel at messing things up. <laughs> he went to work while Nico and the others stood guard. Meanwhile, the fifth cohort was brawling with the two-headed men. The fourth cohort moved in to help. The other three cohorts held their positions, but the officers were having trouble keeping order. All right, Cecil announced. Let's move. They shuffled across the hillside toward the next onager. This time, the mist didn't work so well. One of the onager guards yelled, Hey! Got this. Will sprinted off, which was probably the stupidest decision Nico could imagine, and six of the guards chased after him. The other Romans advanced on Nico, but Lou Ellen appeared out of the mist and yelled, Hey, catch! She lobbed a white ball the size of an apple. The Roman in the middle caught it instinctively. A 20-foot spear of powder exploded outward. When the dust settled, all six Romans were squealing pink piglets. <laughs> nice work, Nico said. Lou Ellen blushed. <laughs> well, it's the only pink pig ball I have, so don't ask for an encore. And, uh, Cecil pointed. Somebody better help Will. Even in their armor, the Romans were starting to gain on Solus. Nico cursed and raced after him. He didn't want to kill other demigods if he could avoid it. Fortunately, he didn't need to. He tripped the other Roman in the back, and the others turned. Nico jumped into the crowd, kicking groins, smacking faces with the flat of his blade, bashing helmets with his pummel. In ten seconds, the Romans all lay groaning and dazed on the ground. Will punched his shoulder. Thanks for the assist. Six out once isn't bad. Not bad. Nico glared at him. Next time, I'll just let them run you down, Solus. Ah, they never catch me. Cecil waved at them from the onager, signaling that his job was done. They all moved toward the third siege machine. In the legion ranks, everything was still in chaos, but the officers were starting to reassert control. The fifth and fourth cohorts regrouped while the second and third acted as the riot police, shoving centaurs and cynocephali and two-headed men back into their respective camps. The first cohort stood closest to the onager, a little too close for Nico's comfort, but they seemed to be occupied by a couple of officers parading in front of them, shouting orders. Nico hoped they could sneak up on the third siege machine. One more onager redirected and they might stand a chance. Unfortunately, the guards spotted them from 20 yards away. One yelled, There! Llewellyn cursed. They're expecting an attack now. The mist doesn't work well against alert enemies. Do we run? No, Nico said. Let's give them what they expect. He spread his hands in front of the Romans. The ground erupted. Five skeletons clawed out of the earth. Cecil and Lou Ellen charged in to help. Nico tried to fall, but he would have fallen on his face if Will hadn't caught him. You idiot! Will put an arm around him. I told you no more of the underworld magic. I'm fine. Shut up! You're not! From his pocket, Will shot, dug out a pack of gum. Nico wanted to pull away. He hated physical contact, but Will was a lot stronger than he looked. Nico found himself leaning against him, relying on his support. Take this, Will said. You want me to chew gum? It's medicinal. Should keep you alive and alert for a few more hours. Nico shoved a stick of gum into his mouth. Tastes like tar 
and dirt. Stop complaining. Hey! Cecil limped over, look, looking like he pulled a muscle. You guys kind of missed a fight. Llewellyn followed, grinning. Behind them, all the Roman guards were tangled in a weird assortment of ropes and bones. Thanks for the skeletons, she said. Great trick. Which he won't be doing again, Will said. Nico realized he was still leaning against Will. He pushed him away and stood on his own two feet. I'll do what I need to. Will rolled his eyes. Fine, death boy. If you want to get yourself killed, do not call me death boy. Lou Allen cleared her throat. Uh, um, guys? Drop your weapons! Nico turned. The fight of the third onager had not gone unnoticed. The entire first cohort was advancing on them, spears leveled, shields locked. In front of them marched Octavian, purple robes over his armor, imperial gold jewelry glittering on his neck and arms, and a crown of laurels on his head, as if he'd already won the battle. Next to him was Legion's standard bearer, Jacob, holding the golden eagle, and six huge Sinophili, their canine teeth bared, their swords glowing red. Oh, well, Octavian snarled. Gracchus saboteurs, he turned to his dog-headed warriors. Tear them apart. And that's the end of chapter 46. What a fascinating chapter indeed. It seems that we will definitely be seeing more of the um, scenarios happening between Nick and Will. And it'll be very interesting to see what exactly happens at the end of this. Will Nico find Will as a form of light? In, a, in where he viewed his life as something that is pure, utter darkness. Will he be able to find that light? I think that it's very fascinating to see that we can see the similarities when we look at gods and their children. And I think that this can be really cleverly seen when it comes to Nico and Hades. Hades is the god of the underworld. He's a god of basically what causes... He's... He's a god of what causes misery to a lot of people, a lot of mortals. And because of that, he seeks to find that light that is able to keep him away from all that darkness that he has to deal with. Because he's a god, and he has to deal with that every single day, every single second, every single hour. And I think it's so fascinating to see how the reason why all the reason why he fell in love with Nico and Bianca's wife, uh, mother is because he found the light in her. When going through a period of darkness, he saw something in her, and he saw something in Hazel's mother that he couldn't let go of, that it reminded him of something that he never wanted to let go of. A feeling of comfort, a feeling of warmth, a feeling of happiness that he knew that he would never be able to let go of. And that concludes our reading for this episode. We will now be moving on to the Q&A session. A couple of disclaimers, as always, before these questions is number one. Um, if I do skip your question or if I do skip your name, do please let me know and I will try my best to get you in the next episode. Second, sometimes I do not answer questions because I believe that they are a bit too personal for me to answer at the moment. However, this isn't to discourage anyone from asking more questions. It's just I would not like anyone to feel bad if their question does not end up being picked for this reason. And then another one would be if I read a question and I believe that hmm, maybe I said this somewhere else in a different episode. I probably will not be answering again, but I do highly recommend that you do check out previous episodes in which you may be able to find 
the answer to that question. So, definitely check those previous episodes out. And now, move on, moving on to the Q&A session. So, let's move on. What is the hardest part of the violin so far? Moving my fingers fast enough to reach the notes. It's always something I've always struggled with when it comes to playing instruments. It's just moving my fingers fast enough to be able to reach the strings, reach the keys, reach anything really. Um, what was the most interesting question you've ever you've ever had? I think a lot of um, the most interesting questions I usually get are those scenario ones, where they um, the fans give me a scenario and then I have to figure out what I would do. I think that those are just so creative and so interesting. And I think that I truly do enjoy answering those kind of questions because it gets my brain a little bit working a little bit and also starts making me think, what would I do in that situation as well? So yes, those I would say definitely one of the the category for the most interesting questions. What is my favorite fight? It would probably have to be Percy against Kronos. That was a fight indeed. Thoughts on Epic the Musical? I'm not sure what that is, but I will be checking it out. Uh, Favorite god? Other than Hypnos. Uh, I probably have to say Hephaestus. I do enjoy um, all the tinkering that he does. It's truly magnificent, and it's genius. I mean, seeing him and then seeing Daedalus, they're both just geniuses in their craft. Uh, next question. Would you follow Luke's path had the gods wronged you? Ooh. No, I don't think I would have. Now, see, the point that I always make whenever it comes to a subject about Luke is that his intentions made sense. Because the gods are in no way fair to any of the demigods. Uh, they didn't choose to put them in that situation. It just happened to be like that. And I think that these kinds of situations where in which the gods were, were handling it to the point that it affected the demigods mentally, I do understand why Luke had a motive there. But the way he went about things, definitely not. Definitely not. Because he ended up harming innocent civilians in the process as well. If it was directed directly at the gods, maybe I would have seen some, some, some efficacy in that. But directing it at everybody including innocent civilians who had no idea who luke was outside of this world outside of just camp just camp jupiter i'm pretty sure nobody had a clue of who luke was maybe they did but the point is that it's just the way he went about stuff was not the best idea Next question is, if you could be any creature, which one would you be? Aryan, easy. Ever write Lemonade War? Uh, no, but I will definitely be adding that to my list. Would you rather be a centaur or a satyr? Centaur. Do you still think of the seven, do you still think that the seven, one of the seven will not survive? Yes. Mainly because it's in the prophecy. Do you like pasta? What kind? Ravioli. Uh, it's amazing. Pocketfuls of cheese. Amazing. Uh, do you think Selena was good or bad? Selena is in the middle. Her moral ethics was where it kind of made me a little bit um, unsure about whether she truly was good or truly was evil. I mean, do we know what intentions she had before she revealed that she was the one who was technically the traitor? We don't know what was going through her head. 
during that time. And we will probably never know. But I think that that's always a discussion that I think that will garner a lot of opinions. And I would love to hear those opinions. Because there's every single opinion is such a unique opinion. And gives you a fresh take that you probably have never heard of before. So yes. That concludes our Q&A session. I will be posting the shoutouts on the description of this podcast. So please be of this episode. So please be sure to check that out. Other than that, next week we will continue this book and see what exactly happens with the rest of the courses. They've meet up with Octavia as Octavian finally gets to meet Nico, Dakota, and Layla. And see what happens from there. So next until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.